You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Let me tell you a little bit about what's going on in Israel. And then, as you know, if, if you've heard me before, I like to give sort of a message of encouragement and everything later. Uh, and, but let's, let's talk about Israel real quick. Things are going great in here. You remember I told you two or three years ago that we had transitioned from actually being just Pat and I who had managed and started the Israel Ministries back in 2004 and forward, that it had grown to the point to where we had now about 8 to 12 people helping us at any point in time on the ground there in Israel. Some of the key people that help us have been proven through the years. I saw, uh, I saw Carol today. Carol, raise your hand. There you go. Tom, how you guys doing? Good to see you. Carol came over in the early years and helped us plant ministries there, plant the churches. Tom has been there working with the, uh, with the little kids and everything, uh, treating medical uh, problems and all. Just great people. It's amazing to me how much this little church, this church, <laughs> in Paris, Texas, has helped this ministry through the years. And the ministry in Israel is growing now to the point where we have these key people there and we, we tag-team them in and out of Israel all the time. The reason why we do that is a couple of years back, Israel changed the rules. Before, they said, you can come in here for 90 days and then you have to leave and renew your visa. And so people would go out and leave for four or five days uh, right in the neighborhood there, Cyprus, uh, Turkey, other places like that. And then they would come back to Israel and the clock would start again. It would be reset. But then a couple of years ago, they changed the rules and they said, no, it's no longer that. It's only 90 days total, some total, out of the year. And so we had two pastors uh, that were kicked out of Israel. One pastor that was in Haifa, Israel, which is the third largest city behind Tel Aviv, which is second, and Jerusalem, which is first. And we had that pastor kicked out. And then we had another pastor that we had ordained and trained and raised up there, and he was kicked out. And you would have thought, I mentioned this before to you the last time I was here, that with adversity like that, well, what can you do? How can you keep going? Well, it turned out that God called one of those pastors to Barcelona, Spain, in the Mediterranean, just down, just down the way, if you could say, you know, from Israel, a, a few hours' flight. But called him to Barcelona, Spain, a city of several million people. And Pat and I had visited it once before on a visa trip coming back from Israel to the States. And we noticed that there were about a million people plus in this huge city square in Barcelona at lunchtime, just going around in despondent, despairing. You could read it on their faces. And so when Will, one of the pastors that was kicked out, came to me, he said, well, what, what do I do now? I said, well, I don't know, Will, but I know one thing, that none of this surprises our Heavenly Father. Everything He does is for the good for us and blesses us. And even what the enemy brings against us, God turns it into a blessing and something good for us. You can't lose. You can't. 
those dark times in your life, don't worry about those. Those have a purpose. It's during that time when that soil is broken up, crushed down, those weeds are pulled out and everything. Seems a little tough at that time. But those are the times that are going to produce a harvest of abundance down the road. So I told Will, I said, you know, Will, you can pray about where the Lord would send you. But Pat and I were in Barcelona, and I told him about the people that we saw and what we felt in our heart for those people. Next thing I know is Will is there in Barcelona. Now, then Will tells me, he said, I got here, I've been here for a couple of weeks, and guess what? He said, you know I'm adopted, I found my real parents, and they're in Spain And I've contacted them, and they're sponsoring me to immigrate to Spain so I could start a church in Barcelona. So, and now there was one church growing, and then he started traveling around to other cities, and people who were coming to the Lord were following him around. It was kind of like I'm reading the book of Acts here. You know, and Paul has got these people, follow, and they follow around and they plant churches in different cities. And I go, wow, God, you know what you're doing. I don't have to worry about it. We don't. We don't have to worry about it. This church in Paris, Texas, my wife's birthday is today. I, I have to tell you, I just... I can't figure out the math. I know we've been married 44 years, but I think she's only 38 today. So, And so I told her for her birthday, I'd take her to Paris. We've enjoyed it. We hadn't seen the tower with a hat yet, you know, but I, I plan on that. It's still red, right? The red hat? Okay, there you go. So anyway... We've had a great time in ministry, and we come back here whenever we can. I want to tell you about this church a little bit in our ministry real quickly before I get to a message. Yeah, you thought, you thought I was about done, huh? <laughs> you know, I'll tell you a little secret. Whenever you hear a Calvary Chapel pastor say, and in conclusion, I want to say, that means he's still got 20 minutes to go. But anyway, we come down here whenever we can, and we love the people here. I was born and raised in Texas, and I've told many of you before that uh, many times, I'm fluent in Hebrew now, but in Israel, as I was walking the streets and everything, it was a humiliating process, learning Hebrew. And I'd walk down the street after making some mistake or something, cringe when I think about it, and I go, Lord, what am I doing here trying to learn Hebrew? Can't even recognize the letters in the alphabet. And then, and then I said, you know, after all, Lord, I was born and raised in Texas. You could, you could make the case that I never really learned English, you know, so... <laughs> Somebody said amen. (laughs) So anyway, we come down here and Calvary Chapel of Paris has stood beside us for years in our ministry down there. Just amazing what the Lord has done. One person from Paris not too long ago bought, sponsored a whole bunch of eyeglasses. It turns out that's a big, big ministry to the homeless. You can imagine the homeless without food, without blankets, clothing, things like that. And in, in Israel, it's different than here. 
There's no social net for them. You have to have an address to receive any benefits from the state, pretty much. The homeless don't have addresses. So they're just lost. And there's tens of thousands of them in South Tel Aviv. Well, one of the things we found was, well, yeah, there's aging people among the population. There's people with eye problems. And they don't, they're not able to see. It's one thing to be homeless. It's another thing to be homeless and not able to see. Not able to read and things like that. So this person got a whole lot of eyeglasses. We took them over there our last trip there just a few months ago and did an eyeglass outreach at our soup kitchen. And, and we were putting these glasses on the people and, and asking them if they could see. And, of course, we gave them a reading test. So, you know, there was John 3.16 right there, you know. And right, can, can you read this? And it was in Hebrew, you know. And so one guy, it came to one guy, and the lady who was working with him, Gave him the right set, what she thought was the right prescription of glasses. And she said, try these. And he looked at it. He looked at the verse there. And he's going like this. And she goes, is that not strong enough? Do you need something else? He goes, no, it's okay. And she goes, well, what's wrong? And he goes, can you read it? And and he says, yeah, I can read it. It's... I just don't understand it. And she began talking to him about the gospel and the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And he gave his life to the Lord that day. God's done amazing things. This little church right here, probably without this church, The congregation in Tel Aviv, Israel, would not have had a place to meet about a third of this last year. So we want to thank you for all you do and for your prayers for us and for the Jewish people. God's doing amazing things. We're looking forward to a blanket outreach where we give to the poor who stay outside. uh, Almost every year we lose a few of them due to the uh, very cold weather there in the winter. It's, it's a climate about like here in the summer, but in the winter it gets very cold there and we lose some people due to exposure and blankets save lives. But anyway, enough about Israel for right now. If you turn in your Bibles to Mark 11, verse 25 and 26, I'd like to talk to you today about the freedom in forgiving. Mark eleven twenty five through 26 says, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you don't forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. You know, as you read the Bible, Old and New Testament, It's easy to see the value that God places on mercy and forgiveness. Micah 6 verse 8 says, You know what the Lord requires of you, O man, but to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Jesus said, of course, in Matthew 5, in the Beatitudes, He said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
you can see that mercy and forgiveness are in the very heart of God. So it should also be in the heart of the child of God. He created you in his image. It says in Genesis 1.26. It just means that you are designed the way that he exists. You have an eternal spirit. God does not have flesh and bones as you and I do. He gave you an eternal spirit. You're the only creature he created that was created in his image. And as his Children, then, we have the capacity to think about the things that he thinks about. We have the values, or should have the values, that he values. He desires us to imitate him in his mercy and patience to others. And that includes a willingness, if you will, to forgive others who have done you wrong. And not only that, but not to forgive them grudgingly but to forgive them in love because you want them to benefit from knowing God's love. You want them to see his love in the way that you act, in the way that you respond. So it's no longer just tit for tat and you're going to pay them back for what they did to you. You're going to set the record straight for what they said about you. It's no longer about that. You love because your heavenly father loves When did he love us? Was it after we asked him to send someone to save us? No, it was before. It was before. While we were yet in our sins, Christ died for the ungodly. When we understand just what he's done in our life, it makes us realize that our responsibility is to forgive others and to be merciful to others. The forgiven heart forgives. It understands the huge debt that God has forgiven it in itself. But many times we fail to remember these things. We fail to be merciful. We fail to remember to forgive. Instead, we harbor bad feelings and unforgiveness toward others. And we go through life dragging that ball and chain everywhere we go. Unforgiveness is a cruel companion. If you think about it, it really has two victims. One, of course, is the person who did you wrong. Later in life, they can look back and regret their actions. And the things they said, what they did to you, that caused them to lose a friend and hurt someone else. And they cringe when those memories come back to them in times past. In the same way... The one who doesn't forgive is also a victim because he has now got anger and bitterness in his heart that is in a place reserved for God's joy and peace. And you've got to pour that ugly stuff out before you can pour the good stuff in. So there's two victims in unforgiveness. If you don't forgive, you can't move forward because you're anchored to the past. But God has a way of dealing with that person who did you wrong. I heard the story the other day about a a lady who lived by herself. And she just wanted some companionship. And so she went to the pet store and she bought one of those talking parrots. 
She bought a talking parrot, and this parrot was very vocal, had good vocabulary, seemed almost so intelligent. She bought it, she brought it home, but almost, I'm in Texas now, I can say this, almost from the get-go, this parrot treated her badly. The parrot would say things that she had no idea a parrot knew how to say. She said, I hate you. That's what the parrot said. You're ugly. Said, get, take me back, you know. And, but she just kept the parrot. She thought if she was nice to it for about a month or so that maybe things would change. But things really didn't change. Every time she picked it up, it would like peck at her arm and, and just talking bad about her and everything. She'd just roll her eyes and wonder when all this was going to end. Finally, after about a month, she went down to the pet store and she asked the owner, says, what kind of treats can I give this parrot to make him like me? The owner said, oh, they love these things. She got some of those things. She took it back. She brought the parrot into the kitchen, set the parrot down, and then started feeding him this. But any time she held out one of these little treats for the parrot to take, instead he bit her arm and he started talking it, actually cursing her. And everything. And finally, she just picked it up, take it back to its cage, just started pecking at her arm so violently that she just, she was by the refrigerator, she just opened the freezer door and threw the parrot in and slammed the door. She was just so angry. Even there, the parrot just kept going. She could hear him. But after about 10 or 15 seconds, the voice died down. She couldn't hear the parrot anymore. And she goes, Oh no, what have I done? I've killed him. She opens the door and the parrot is standing there like this, shivering in the freezer. Slowly his eyes come up to meet the owner. And he says, I want you to know that I've been considering my behavior. (laughs) And I want to apologize for my past performance. And I want to let you know that from this day forward, I will be an obedient respectful parrot please accept my apology and she said well okay the parrot goes thank you oh thank you and then after a moment of silence the parrot looks back over his wing into the freezer and looks back at her he said can I ask you a question and she goes yes what is it and he goes what did the chicken do God knows how to deal with people that hurt you. (laughs) But your job, church, is not to get even with those people. Instead, God wants you to show them his love, to represent him. Why not step aside and let God work with their heart? Why not let him be your defender? Why don't you just get out of the way? You don't have to set the score straight. It doesn't have to be you that does that. God's called you for something far more noble than that. And anytime you just work on this other stuff, you're taking time away from what God has called you to do. Now, maybe you're saying, well, that's easy for you to say, but you don't know what they did to me. You're right. I don't know what they did to you. But I know this, that they may have hurt you in the past, but you're letting them continue to hurt you today. When you don't forgive them. Here's why. 
all these thoughts keep replaying in your mind. You're reliving this over and over again. The anger, those feelings swell up again and again and again. And instead of going to the calling and the work that God has for you in life, you're preoccupied in this bitterness and anger, stuck there in neutral, or spinning your wheels, if you will. In Jeremiah 29, you know the verse, God says he has plans to give you a future and a hope. Nobody can stop God from giving you that. But if you don't receive that, it's not going to happen. If you're busy living the life that you want to live, living in unforgiveness of others and not representing him here in this brief life that we have on earth, you're wasting your life. You're not living the calling that God has for you. It says in, in Psalms that he knew all of your days before any of them existed. Psalm 139. And he wrote your days in his book. Now, books have chapters. Yes, they hurt you yesterday. Maybe they hurt you more than once. But those were in previous chapters. Why not turn the page and go into the next chapter in life? God has you as the main character in this book. And there's chapters in which there are setbacks. And there's chapters in which there are pain and hurt and despondency and despair. But then there's chapters where the sun is shining brightly. And you can't believe what that trial and troublesome path has brought you to today. If you step aside and let God be your defender and just move on with life. Nothing that anyone has done to you in life has the power to take your peace away. You understand that? You're the gatekeeper of your heart. Remember the story in the Bible where the disciples were in the boat and they woke Jesus and they were afraid that they were perishing. Jesus woke and he said to the storm, peace, be still. Now we know that he was speaking to the storm. The storm after that was gone. It was peaceful and it was still. I believe he was also speaking to the hearts of the disciples. Peace, be still. It's not so much the fact that you're in the boat in the middle of the storm. It's the fact of who you are with. The creator of all things. The one who has the authority to say, peace, be still. If he's with you, you don't have anything to worry about. Everything is taken care of just because he is there. Remember when he fed the 5,000? And... He asked the disciples, they said, well, what are we going to do? We can't feed all these people. And he said, what do you have? They said, well, we've only got five loaves and and a couple of fish. I think a better answer would have been, well, Lord, we have you, and that's all we need. But sometimes we don't think like that, do we? We think in human terms, and even when we pray, we don't pray big prayers. We pray prayers that we would expect from human reasoning and human power. God, please bring uh, money to pay this thing. God, please bring someone to do this. God, please do this, do this. And you think in ways that you would have designed to fix the problem. That's the way it was when he multiplied those loaves and fishes, right? 
He said, what do you have? They brought him the loaves and fishes. You know, imagine the disciples. Well, what are you going to do with those? Are you going to cut them up in little tiny pieces and feed 5,000 men plus women and children, maybe over 10,000 people together, all put together? You know, that's the way humans would think. They had no idea that he was going to multiply them as they reached into the basket and, and kept pulling this stuff out and handing it out. They had never thought about that. They have never thought about God answering a prayer in that way. They were expecting them to do things the way humans do things. And that's the way we are when we pray. Many times we're asking God to do things according to our understanding. But listen, church, God is a supernatural God. He does supernatural things. He'll do things that you haven't even imagined. He makes a way where you can't see a way. He does things that haven't even entered into your imagination at any time. God will take care of things in his way. When you see unforgiveness in your life, it takes up residence. And you get trapped in a cycle of bitterness. What I'm saying is it's possible for God to heal you of this unforgiveness if you will seek him and ask him to do so. Don't tell him how to do it. It's just like any good manager knows. If you, if you have a company and you have creative people, you tell them what needs to be done, not necessarily how to do it, unless they're in training or something like that. You give them some degree of freedom for creativity. In the same way, you tell God what you need. You don't tell him how to answer that prayer. God will help you with the unforgiveness. So you don't get trapped in a cycle of bitterness. Thinking about what that person did to you. Replaying it over and over again in your mind. Everything that you see in life in the present comes through the lens of the past. You can't move forward into the future because you're anchored to yesterday. But God wants to put you into the new chapter, church. He wants to pull you into the new chapter, a great and glorious thing that he's designed for you. He never intended for you to go through life in bitterness. Towing that big trailer full of bad memories and anger. You need to pull over. Unhitch that trailer. Leave it at the side of the road and just drive off. Don't even bother looking back. God has better things for you on up ahead. God's plan for you is far better than anything that you can plan for yourself. Why not let it go, leave it behind, and get on with life? That's what you have to do. You have to walk away from it. You have to make a conscious decision. I'm going to forgive that person. I'm going to let that stuff go. I'm not going to be trapped and tortured by the past anymore. I'm going to go forward and see what God has for me now. I'm going to take his word that he has plans to give me a hope and a future. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, I I wished it was that easy. But it's just not possible to reason with that person. No, you just need to see that person from a different perspective. Instead of seeing them with their faults, start seeing them as God sees them. Well, what do you mean by that? Start seeing them as who they could become and not necessarily as who they are now. That's the key to being able to forgive from the heart someone who's done you wrong. 
There's a popular television series called Fixer Upper where Chip and Joanna Gaines, a Christian couple, find these houses and properties that are all run down. You know of it. All these houses that look like they're just abandoned and, and so many things that look like they should have been bulldozed years ago just for the land value alone. But they look at those houses and they go through what, what I call imagineering. That was a Disney term, right? You imagineer, you look at what it could be. They stand back and they look at that house from the outside and they start thinking. And they start talking. Well, we could do this over here and that wing of the house over there. We could change that in a major way to this. And, and she goes, yeah. Or we could do this. He goes, yeah, that's a great idea. It's, and then they start walking through the house and doing that for each individual room. Well, we could do this here. We could tear out that wall. We could put this here. We could change that and everything. It's like they're looking up above the ground at some movie that nobody else can see. Imagining what this could become. And in the end, you've seen the series, the before and afters are incredible. The things that had been done to that house, it's hard to believe that it's even the same house. And the house that wasn't moving on the market before that no one really wanted, now everyone wants. They went to work, they unlocked that potential in that place to break out that dream from the old structure. That's the way God looks at us, even the worst of us. That's the way he sees potential inside each of us. That's the way you need to see that person who did you wrong. Remember that God also saw you as a fixer-upper. It's kind of like an assembly line where they put together the automobiles. The assembly line, they're putting together the automobile. At first you start with a chassis sort of foundation. Then it moves on up the line to another station. The folks there, the robots there, whoever they are nowadays, they put... This on, the suspension components. They put this on, safety components. It moves down to the next station, the next person down the line. Does this to it, adds this to it. The tires come on. The interior goes in. The fenders get on. The trunk gets put on. All the little trim gets put on. The electronics get put in. The engines dropped in. Finally, all the things associated with the computer that will make that engine run, those are put together. Then they bring it out to the end of the line and they test it. Do you ever think that that's probably the way that God is using you in the lives of some people? You may not see the end result of the person that you're working with, the person who did you wrong. They they may not respond entirely, completely, at at one time to the love that you're showing them, to the forgiveness that you're showing. It may be that you're just a station along the way. And God is going to take that person after you and another believer is going to work with them on another thing down the road sometimes you've been the person at the end of the assembly line sometimes you've been the person at the start or in the middle but God knows what he's doing you just make yourself available to do that God loves to work with fixer-uppers that's the way it was with Saul you know Saul There he was in Acts chapter 6 and 7, 6, persecuting the believers, holding the coats for the ones who were stoning the first Christian martyr, Stephen. 
And then Paul became so zealous that he searched for Christians, not only in the local area there, around Jerusalem, but even around the entire region. He would travel long distances to go and find Christians to put into jail. You know the story. On the road to Damascus, God's light crashed into Saul's darkness. Saul said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. And he said something interesting. He said, it's hard for you, Saul, to do these things. It's hard for you to do these things. Why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, it hurts what you're doing. It hurts my people what you're doing. He said, Saul, it's hard for you. He loved him so much. He saw that Saul had potential in him. Well, you know the story after that. Saul became Paul. The change in him was so radical after that encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Becoming a believer, Paul, his new name, to indicate his new person, was now going to be worked with by God. Over time, he would be molded to the person that God wanted him to be. The interesting thing about God working with Paul to me, wasn't so much the encounter on the road to Damascus, but rather what happened after Paul was a believer. After Paul became a believer, there were people trying to kill him. There were people traveling all over the known civilized world at that time, trying to hunt Paul down so that they could kill him. He was stoned twice. Once he was left for dead, that's how badly he was stoned. And then he got right up from that when he finally came to and had the presence of mind enough to just barely crawl to his feet and stand up. And the first thing he did was went right back into the city where he came from. Where they had stoned him. People from there had stoned him. And he began proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ again. Notice that Paul didn't take any time at all to try to combat these people. He didn't say, well, I, they said this, but I'm here to defend myself. That's not the way it happened. It happened this way. He said, these people tried to kill me. That's unlawful. I'm going to take you to court and do this. And before the justice, we're going to find out who is right and who is wrong. He didn't do that. He didn't fight for himself. He stepped aside. He let God be his defense. This same Paul who didn't spend any extra time trying to fight back. This same Paul ended up saying in Philippians 3.13, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. That's great advice, isn't it? Let go of the events of the past. You can't change those. God has plans for you to have a future and a hope. So instead of continually reliving the past and the hurts of what had gone before, let it go. Leave it behind. Get on with life. Remember that nobody is too far gone for God to reach them. Nobody. You may look at that person. I say, there's no way God can reach that. They don't have anything that God can use. They've got absolutely nothing to offer God. That's great news right there. Because God is the creator of all things. He took nothing and made it into everything. He can work with nothing. And in your own life, 
You may have nothing, but you give it to God and you watch the beautiful thing that he will do. He created the universe from nothing. He creates newness of life, newness of opportunities from nothing as well. And so in conclusion... Don't give up on that other person. They're not beyond hope. They're in reach of the gospel. They're not beyond help. God is beyond limits. Remember who you serve. And remember that he is there with you every step you make. You just keep showing his love. God can make a way where you don't see a way. But all of this time now, we've just talked about forgiving others. There's one more person you have to forgive. You have to forgive yourself. That's hard. And mostly it's hard because we have wrong theology. We have this innate, inborn instinct that we got to get 51% good in our life or we're not going to heaven. Right? You think of heaven as a democracy. 51% of your days live good. God, you got to let me in. Look, I've kept track. Here's all the stuff I've done good. No, you don't understand. Biblically, God is perfect. He has no sin, no darkness at all. And to stand before him, he's committed himself to judging sin. And the wages of sin is death. He told Ezekiel, he said, the soul that sins, it shall die. Well, wait a minute. Doesn't he also say, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Yeah, yeah. So what hope do we have? None apart from him, apart from his mercy and forgiveness. You know the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It says nothing about, but whoever has 51% of their life doing good, or whoever does things good at the moment that they die, they're going to go to heaven. didn't say that. Whoever believes on the Son of God, the righteous, blemish-free Lamb of God, and has the perfect, sinless, atoning blood of the Lamb of God put on the doorposts of their lives, then God will look over that, like he said in Passover, and he said, I will pass over that house when I see the blood of the blemish-free Lamb on the doorpost of that house. I will pass over that house in judgment. That's why we call it Passover. You see. And if your salvation, if you think your salvation is in any other thing, your theology is just wrong. You're torturing yourself. Let it go. 1 John 1, 9 says, look, you're going to sin from time to time. He says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But make no mistake, when you give your life to his, when he looks at you, he doesn't just see your activities. He doesn't just see what you've done good and what you've done wrong. No, he sees the perfect righteousness of his son in you. Because your sins are covered That means they're hidden. That means they're taken away. That means they're atoned for by the blood of the blemish-free Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Once you realize that, you have liberty. 
Once you realize just how much God has forgiven you, it becomes easier to forgive other people for the things that they've done. And you're thinking about one thing they've done, two things they've done, three maybe, whatever, a dozen, two dozen. But God has before you all the millions of things that you've done wrong in your life. He forgave you all of them. Can't you forgive these people what they did wrong to you? So remember, if God is for you, no one can be against you. Jesus Christ said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You can rest, child of God. Your sins are forgiven. So in ending, don't let unforgiveness rob you of your calling that God is waiting for you to do. He's waiting for you to show up so he can send you on amazing journeys in life. Don't be anchored to that chain of the past with that ball tied around your ankle that you just refuse to to leave. God will break you free from that if you ask him. He has a wonderful purpose for you. And he also has a wonderful purpose for that person who hurt you. You pray for them. Learn to give all of your cares to God. Don't be paralyzed by the past. Put your eyes on the horizon. It's a new day. Go forward. He wants to do amazing things in your life. Just take that unforgiveness, throw it overboard, and sail away toward the horizon. Let it go, leave it behind, and get on with life. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.